for visiting with us. Again, we welcome you. It's good to see each member. What a beautiful Lord's Day it is. God's blessed us richly. We have a small group of young people that are working in Purlington, Mississippi this weekend. Be sure and keep them in your prayers and keep the congregation in your prayers there. It's awesome to think that out of that devastation, something great has come from it, that now a a community that did not have a congregation of the Lord's church now does. And let's be praying for them. In a few weeks, we have some of our members that are going to go down and help conduct their Sunday morning worship service. And we're thankful for each one that continues to work to make this mission point uh, a great success for God's glory. Let's be prayerful. Let's be encouraging in every way that we can. There were two senior, senior students in engineering that were standing evaluating a flagpole. They were evaluating what would be the best way to measure the height of this flagpole. They were talking about what equations they might use. And about that time, a freshman comes walking by, asks what they're doing. They describe what they're doing, and without saying a word, he just walks over to the flagpole. He lifts it up, he lays it down, he gets his tape measure out, and he measures it off, and he says, it's about 10 foot and 6 inches. Walks on his way. First student looks at the second one and says, just like a freshman. You want to know the height, and he gives you the length. Now, when you think about that from a spiritual, think about it, from a spiritual, we sometimes think about spiritual things with earthly mindsets, and it creates a lot of confusion. I saw a list the other day that each one of these I'm going to read to you has a scripture reference with it, and then the last one will tie right into what we're studying this morning. But it's so true that when we fail to see the spiritual aspects of the blessings that God gives us, we fail to see the blessings. For example, we see unseen things. We conquer by yielding. We find rest under a yoke. We reign by serving. We're made great by becoming little. We're exalted by being humble. We become wise by being fools for Christ's sake. We're made free by becoming His bondservants. We wax strong by being weak. We triumph by defeat. We find victory by glory in our infirmities. And perhaps the most wonderful of all, we live by dying. Can you imagine how so many must have thought as they looked at the cross, Jesus was defeated. Look, if you will, to Matthew, the 27th chapter, as we look at a passage by introduction before we go back to our text. In Matthew, the 27th chapter, you can imagine how individuals looked at Jesus and said He failed because, after all, He came to change things, but Rome was still the same. He came to change things, but Jerusalem was still the same. He came to change things, but it seemed like Judaism was still the same. If this man was so powerful and if his teachings were such uh, astonishing teachings, how could it end with his death upon the cross? We see a glimpse of the way at least a few individuals looked at the cross and the cross still had no appeal to them. We're in Matthew the 27th chapter. We're going to pick up in verse 38. Notice these three groups here. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. A second group, likewise the chief priest also, mocking with the scribes and elders, said, 
He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. And a third group, even the robbers who were crucified with him, reviled him with the same thing. Those passing by mocked him. The chief priest and the elders and the scribes, they mocked him. And even at least one of the robbers that were hanging next to him reviled him and mocked him. Friends, there is an angle of the cross that we can view where it has no appeal at all. And that's strictly from a physical nature. It would seem that everything was lost at that moment. But this morning... We know that cannot be true because there's too much that has happened over the last 2,000 years as a result of the cross. It wasn't ended. His life continued and His followers continued. There are buildings all around this world that have been built because of the cross and of the resurrection. There are stories and songs and poems that have been written by the thousands because of the cross and the resurrection, there are lives right in this room that have been changed drastically because of the story of the cross. It wasn't the end. Well, then what is it? What is it that is so appealing about the cross? Let's look back to John, the 12th chapter, the text that's been so capably read for us. And let's notice again, verse 32 and 33, as we think about the appeal of the cross, I'd like for you to notice how he uses the word draw here in 32. Jesus is speaking in 32 and he says, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw, the appeal of the cross will draw all peoples to myself. Then he said, signifying by what death? he would die. First notice when he said this. He said this before he ever died. Can you imagine how presumptuous this statement must have sounded to think that there's going to be something glorious about a cross? Now, wait a minute. You and I know how how glorious the cross is. But think about the day when a cross has never been glorified. A cross has never been magnified. A cross has never been something to appreciate. And now Jesus is speaking before the cross and he's saying, I want to tell you what's going to draw all people to me. It's if I'm lifted up, signifying the death that he should die. Can you imagine how some of them stood around listening to him thinking, what is he talking about? Oh, he knew the beauty of the story of the cross because he knew the whole story. He knew that not only, note this, would he be lifted up on a cross, but he would also be lifted up from a grave. And he would also be lifted up into heaven promising to return to take all of those that are His with Him to be lifted up into heaven. He knew He would also be lifted up in the hearts and the lives of men and women for thousands of years. Friends, that's why Jesus could say with certainty, if I'm lifted up, I'll draw all peoples. In other words, The invitation is open to everyone, all people, all nations, to Him. But now note this. I believe that here, signifying the death, that He should die, 
shows us that one aspect of the appeal of the cross is the deep emotion. When we say the word death, most of us immediately can identify with deep emotion. Many of us have been to the open graves where we've stood beside one that we have loved dearly and they have passed away. Friends, if we are going to see the cross, we have to see the one that is on the cross and recognize the fact that he did die. And that stirs our emotions. As a matter of fact, when we think about it stirring emotions, we think about Jesus Christ himself as he went to the grave of the one that he loved. And you remember before he actually went to the graveside, he met the sisters, Mary and Martha. And you remember they were crying. And you remember even other people in town had gathered around. And Jesus said, where have you laid them? And they took him out to the side of the tomb. Jesus knew that he was going to resurrect him. But Jesus seeing the pain of death, how it has affected the ones that he loves, Jesus himself begins to cry. Jesus wept, the verse simply says. Now after that, he's going to perform a miraculous resurrection. But the point is... The deep emotion has always been associated with death. And it wasn't any different for Jesus Christ. Do you remember that after his scourging and the crown of thorn is pressed upon his brow, do you remember as he started dragging that cross? And I want you to imagine the emotion that would be tied in with seeing Jesus that you love in such a weak condition that he's dragging that cross and literally falls beneath it. It's at that point that the women, Matthew 27 tells us, begin to weep and wail. It's almost too much for them to bear as they watch Jesus on His way to death. When we consider even Judas, do you remember that the Scriptures tells us that even Judas, when they saw Him condemned, was very remorseful, the Scripture says and took the money, and he ended up throwing it on the floor in return. Friends, Jesus' death pulls at our deepest emotions. I don't know if it's true or not, but it makes a powerful point. The story's told about a preacher that was preaching on the crucifixion, and as he did, a little girl sitting beside her mother began to sob. And as he continued telling the story of the crucifixion, her sobbing became a little louder and her mother nudged her and told her to be quiet. And she continued to cry a little more and finally she looked around and the mother said, what is wrong with you? And she says, don't you hear this story of what Jesus did for us? It's so sad that he had to die like that. And that story went on a few more minutes and she sobbed out loud again. And finally the mother said, quit it. Just think about something else. Stop crying. And how many of us have done that? How many of us have come so distracted with everything else that we don't stop to consider our Jesus died for us? This may sound strange, but I want you to imagine that right now this morning, during this assembly, Jesus was crucified. Right here. You watched it. How would your life be changed if you went through the emotional turmoil of watching Jesus crucified? 
And he says about his body and about his blood, this do in remembrance of me. Jesus doesn't want us to ever forget that He gave His life for us. The beautiful appeal of the cross, it appeals to our deepest emotions. But it also appeals to a humanity, to a dignity of our humanity. Look, if you will, to Matthew the 11th chapter. In Matthew the 11th chapter, in verse 28, we see a very dignified appeal that Jesus makes to us. The appeal of the cross is that it's not a forceful event. It's not something that man doesn't have a choice. There are many, many gathered here this morning that are faithful followers of Jesus Christ, but not one is a faithful follower because God made you become a faithful follower. Not one is a faithful follower because a faithful follower made you become a faithful follower. The human dignity of the cross is that Jesus willingly gave Himself there and all of mankind that follows Him willfully gives themselves in God's service. Think of the beauty of this dignified invitation. When we hear Jesus say in Matthew 11 and 28, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. What a dignified invitation. Back in the garden of Gethsemane, Peter came out to fight. Jesus came out to give Himself. Peter was told to put his sword up. When he was marched over to the high priest, he was mistreated, falsely accused, false witnesses. He wasn't there to fight. As a matter of fact, whenever Pilate would ask him about being a king, he would remind even Pilate of the fact that his kingdom was not of this earth. If it were, he would fight. And his followers would too. But it's spiritual. Do you realize to be a follower of Jesus, we will never be asked or expected to fight a physical battle for God. We will never be asked to take advantage of the poor. Or of the rich. We'll never be asked to take advantage of a child or an older person. We'll never be asked to form prejudice against a nation or a race of people. The beautiful appeal of the cross is the human dignity where we see Jesus giving himself for us and then offering a dignified invitation that says, anyone that wants to follow me, whosoever will, let him come. And everybody that comes 
does not ever have to worry about apologizing for mistreating somebody because of the God they serve. Think how many causes. Individuals have done things for those causes that in the midst of it, they stopped and asked themselves, why am I hurting these people? Why am I mistreating these people? We've seen movies of such causes where in the middle, a soldier stops and he apologizes, I'm sorry we're having to do this. Not with God. The appeal of the cross is the human dignity that God offered us through His Son and offers us through His cause. But notice with me, if you will, as we go to Romans, the fifth chapter. In Romans, the fifth chapter, we see the cross appeals to our sense of moral obligation. God is faithful. If God is going to be a just God, God must punish sin. So therefore, it's not that God overlooks sin when God forgives us. It's that God allows Jesus to be the substitute for our sins. Earlier in the book of Romans, in Romans the fifth chapter, you and I and all of mankind are identified as being people without strength in verse 6 and ungodly. We're identified in verse 8 as being sinners, and in verse 10 we're identified as enemies. And throughout this whole paragraph it continually is saying, but Jesus died for us. In other words, unconditionally, while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. Jesus had to die for our sin. Look what he gave us. Look as you read verse 17 and 18. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, that's talking about Adam bringing sin and all of mankind following in his steps, much more those who receive abundant of grace. Now this is going to start talking about the cross. Who receive abundant of grace and the gift of righteousness, that's the death of Jesus, will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came unto all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteousness, that's Jesus' act, the act of the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. Look what Jesus has done. The moral obligation is, I want to respond to that. It's simply not moral for someone to do something so tremendous for us and us turn our back on it and say, I'm going to pretend it didn't happen. The moral obligation is a response. Notice how quickly it happened. Do you remember in Bible class this morning when we studied about the sayings of the cross? And you remember when Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Do you think those people would ever have a moral obligation to respond? Many of them did, didn't they? Fifty days later, many of those Jews would be gathered. And they would hear the story of the cross and of the burial and of the resurrection. And when they realized what Jesus had done for them, they responded to that by saying, What shall we do? And they were told to repent and be baptized every one of them in the name of Jesus Christ for their mission their sins. And over 3,000 of those Jews did that that day. When we look in Acts, the 26th chapter, Paul is standing before Agrippa and he is telling him about his response, about Paul's response to Jesus. 
He told him about what he used to be, a persecutor of Christians. But then he told him about that bright light that shined down as he was on the road to Damascus. And he told how he turned his life around and he responded to Jesus' call. And then he told about how he gave his life going out to the Gentiles, urging them to repent and to turn their life around. And in this, he tells them that Christ suffered, speaking of the crucifixion. And then he spoke of how he was resurrected. And Felix is beside himself. And he says, you're mad, Paul. But Agrippa, Agrippa's response is, almost. Thou persuadest me to become a Christian. Even the king felt the moral obligation to respond to what Jesus had done. Friends, I'm not trying to belittle any of us here. But there's something wrong with someone that knows the story of the cross and doesn't feel a need to respond. Either they've never really stopped and thought about the story, or they have a hardness of the heart that is terrible. C.S. Lewis said of the cross and of our Lord, the Son of God became the Son of Man, so that the sons of men may become the sons of God. That's the appeal of the cross. It pulls at our deepest emotion. It's inviting with the human dignity that it offers. But it also reminds us of our moral obligation. This morning, are you a son or a daughter of the Lord? Are you a brother with Jesus? Are you saved? That's the story of the cross, is salvation. If you believe it and you're willing to repent of sins and confess before men, won't you be baptized into Jesus for the remission of your sins? And notice this, out of baptism you're lifted up as a new creation ready for the one who has been lifted up to come back and to receive his own and deliver them to the Father. That's the story of the one that was lifted up that wants to draw all people unto himself. Maybe somewhere along the way, you've lost this new life. And maybe sin has brought you back down. And the Lord wants to lift you up again. The Lord gave his life on the cross so that He could lift us up as many times as we needed. The point is, we've got to decide if we'll respond to the cross, if we'll make Him King of our life and Lord of our life. And if we can help you any way this morning with that decision, please come as we stand and as we sing.